Hello and welcome to the Pure Football Podcast. We aim to be the unbiased voice that celebrates the good, calls out the bad and goes in-depth on all things Scottish football and beyond. I'm Chris Sampson and today I'm joined by a couple of special guests. I'm with Partick Thistle's Kieran McKenna and Greenock Morton's Marcus Fjortoft. Hello guys, how are you both today? Very good, thank you for having us on here. Yeah, thank you Chris, hope you're doing well. Yeah, not a problem and, and I'm, I am doing well, thank you very much for asking. Um, there's there's plenty to discuss, to discuss today, um, so I, I guess we'll just get straight into it then. Um, obviously, I don't know if people listening will, will know this or or uh, be kind of mindful of it while, while, while you're listening to the podcast, but, but you guys know each other very well. Um, do you want to go through the story of how you both know each other? Well, it's, it's a very intimate uh, kind of journey that we have together, but uh, I'll let Kieran... Uh take over at some point but all I can say is that uh, I was told on a spring day in 2015 in my second semester of college that I had to be responsible for a young 17 year old Scottish lad who was going to come visit this big time Charlie who was looking at some big school <laughs> and uh, I was responsible and I'll be honest and say that uh, I was not feeling it I had a weekend off and I was buzzing for it um and so he came, and let let it be clear, I was the worst host, probably, <laughs> as you can attest to. And so, uh, just so he got he, other people took the reins and hosted him well. But I, I, I kind of met him then, um, and then you know he uh, he uh, he committed to to Duke, and what has followed then is you know we played together for three years. Um, when I left Duke, he took over my apartment. Um, when then I left for New Zealand, he ended up being at Falkirk after a while, and then I went to Hamilton. Then we, he went to Hamilton. We lived together, um, and so it's been what Kieran five years. Yeah, five years now. Yeah, of some of yeah of, of pure intimacy, so to speak. But uh, <laughs> Kieran can attest. I don't know. Kieran can maybe uh, give more details to how that weekend was. But uh, I'm glad it all. You know, my job. I did my job. You know, he committed. Yeah, so what I would say is. From that weekend, was Marcus was pretty much a myth. Um, I just heard stories and what it was like from other people, but I didn't have seen very little, little of him that weekend. Yeah. Kieran, how did it feel as as a seventeen year old kind of going across for that scholarship at Duke? Yeah, um, it was a bit crazy to be honest. I never obviously I came through Celtic's academy, and if you'd had, if you had told me. It, 14, 15 that I was going to do that, I'd have laughed because I'm a massive uh, Celtic fan, come from a big Celtic family and I joined the club. I was lucky to play throughout the whole youth academy for Celtic and uh, ever since I joined at 9, 10 years old, the dream was always to get a professional contract and play. hopefully one day play for the first team. But when I then got to 16 years old, I was doing well in school and the balance of kind of doing school and playing football was working really well for me. I was getting good exam results and I was also playing really well. And I kind of thought, why would I disrupt this uh, balance if it's going so well for me? And I, I know I knew how fickle uh, football was. And my dad had a somewhat short career and he was always kind of guiding me to think differently and, um, you know, pursue my academics if um, just in case type of thing. So then I explored that idea, but, as soon as I went over to visit Duke, um, the visit that Marcus was talking about, as soon as I visited it, I mean, once you visit the university, it's very hard to say no to it. Um, it's an incredible place and the facilities and the academics and even, you know, I think a lot of people over here are ignorant to the standard of football and there's no doubt that the standard of college football over there isn't as high as a professional environment here, but I think if for, you know, the years of 17, 18, 19 years old, I think it, it does its job in developing you. Um, and so when, pretty much when I went over and visited, I just couldn't say no. And uh, I think it was maybe one of the best decisions I made. I don't regret it at all. And then Marcus, I guess you were probably more of a travelling around quite a lot during your childhood. Is that is that right to say? And then maybe it wasn't such a big thing for you to go to the US. Yeah, I think you have. I think you make a valid point in the sense that, you know, because of uh, my upbringing and with my dad having played and having been born in England, lived in Germany, 
and gone to an international school for much of my life, it was always more normal for me, uh, you know, being with people from other countries, talking English, um, being exposed to an American as much as a, a, a British culture. And so for me, I, I always had a des- desire to go to college from when I was around 16, 17, and I saw that it could be done. Mind you, I don't think the explosion, so to speak, that we see, and I can, I think it's more so the case in Norway, but also in the UK, in terms of players going over to America to play. When I went, I think I was the first foreigner, and I'm excluding Canadians in this because obviously because of proximity, I was the first Norwegian to go to Duke. And then Kieran was the second, you know, so it's more of a recent phenomenon. But I always had a, a desire to do go there much for the same reasons as Kieran did. Um, I wanted to pursue a football career, but I understood that, uh, you know, the importance of academics. I didn't want to jeopardize that either. And as where better than to America, where you can integrate those two aspects very, very well. And luckily enough, we went to Duke, which is arguably one of the best when it comes to the integration of academics and athletics. And so to be able to be in that environment for four years, you not only develop as a player um, because you are in some pretty formative uh, years of your life, um, developing physically, being exposed to a competitive environment at a constant basis, but you're also developing as a person, as you're gaining your degree, as you're meeting people a lot more brilliant than you are from pure smarts and Kira and I have had so much uh, to gain from that. Putting, putting the sport and, and the football to one side for a second, how, how was both of your times at, at Duke from an academics perspective? What, what did you both study? Uh, I, stud, I studied political science, which was pretty much, was pretty much politics. Um, Right before I went over, I went over in 2015. So 2014 was the independence referendum and that kind of got me interested in politics. So I continued to pursue that interest over there. Um, I'd say initially the first six months, year, it was pretty tough adjusting academically. It was like I, I did well in high school, but I did well without, I don't want to sound too arrogant, but I did the work that was necessary. But when, when going over to Duke, one of the best, universities in America, the workload for your classes was nothing that I could imagine and just the, the amount of reading you had to do and how much you had to prepare for classes and the assignments and the papers. Um, so for, for the first six months to a year, uh, it took me a little bit of time to adjust to and it was tough. But then you get in the groove of things and you kind of figure out the tricks, how to get by and you obviously learn and get better. Um yeah, that first year is always tough though because you you like you said, we we have similar cases in which I just rode along for high school. For me, it was became like it was very, it was very kind of easy to get by and get good grades. But then you come to this environment where people like some of these people that go Duke Duke's acceptance rate acceptance rate is so low, and so obviously you have the benefit of coming in on an athletic scholarship. And mind you, you have to have a certain academic pedigree, but still. And so you're surrounded by these people and then um, you realize the work that needs to be put in place combined with the fact that you get older mm-hmm. and you understand the techniques that yeah. are in place. It's, it's a very, um, it was a very humbling experience because I think in high school I felt like one of the smartest uh, there and then I went to Duke and I was honestly probably dumbest in almost every class. And, yeah, uh, you're understanding yourself. <laughs> So, but yeah, you learn a lot, not just from your classes, but like Mark had said, the people, your classmates and the people you meet, these are some of like the smartest and um, kind of best, most experienced and kind of most interesting people, you know, from all over the world. And it's just uh, incredible to kind of build relationships with them. But, yeah. And having said that, they're also, but there is also, it's funny the dynamic there because being an athlete at a at an, uh, a university too comes with its kind of certain status. So to have that kind of dynamic with, you know, regular students, so to speak, um, is an interesting one because it's, it, you know, you're almost more revered, almost more, you know, seen upon with respect because of, you know, you've come in an athletic scholarship. And I think that's, you know, uh, a shout out to the American culture for, mm-hmm. 
for you know giving praise to people that have worked hard and say good for you and wow that's that's so awesome that you you're here on playing soccer you know yeah and so there is a I think there is a mutual respect there in place at the same time yeah I think just touching on that as well like like from now from obviously from this side of the pond looking over it seems like U.S. college sport is almost a whole different ball game to compare to quite a lot of things actually uh in terms of i mean especially so in the investment that you maybe see uh, in some of the places and i think some of the uh, is it last chance you on netflix and things like that when, when you watch that and you see some of the facilities that some of these colleges have it is just it's frightening almost in comparison to a lot of things how did those things at duke compare to maybe what you've experienced elsewhere since well, I think the biggest eye opener at Duke was the basketball team and the culture. I think the Duke basketball team is probably the basic, the college level, and it's a school. It's a school that for players who transition from high school to the NBA. So you'd have players there who were literally only going to Duke for one year, and they were destined for the NBA. Um, and almost every year you would have a top five draft pick. So they were basically celebrities, like on the campus and. The fandom around it, um, it's the culture's crazy. People queuing um, for days to get tickets to the basketball games when if they're playing their rivals UNC, tickets go for thousands of dollars. Uh, so seeing that was an eye opener, and it's good to then be a part of the soccer the soccer team there because you kind of piggyback off that, and uh, I think the size of the Duke basketball team then helped uh, all the other sports around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the facilities are the facilities are tremendous. Like I, I'm serious when I say, like Premier League clubs yeah. can maybe can maybe compete, but it, we, it was top notch. Mind you, there's money being funneled from different places. Whether it's you know money being put, many money being earned from the basketball team and the and the American football, which are the main revenue generators. But then there's also alumni. There's a huge alumni base and stuff like that. So there's a whole different business model in place here, but the way I mean, me, we get we get to kind of reap the the results of that, and the facilities we found ourselves in was incredible. And I'll be careful to like not, you know, undermine the American students' uh, kind of experience. But I think for us, it was the contrast was even greater coming there and realizing we are coming here to play college soccer, and these are the facilities we are given. We were we were. We felt like such professional athletes and everything in place, like the sports science, the, the strength and conditioning room, the, 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 the state of the, of the training field. The nutrition. Nutri- yeah, nutrition, traveling. Every, everything you can imagine was there put in place to which we were g- given a tremendous professional experience. And that's part of, you know, part, part in giving us that success uh, that we can make the most out of. I guess we've established that you you are both quite close to each other and and you do both still live together. What is the story around the podcast then? Where did the name come from and why did you decide to do one in the first place? Uh, Marcus can take full credit for the name. He's far more creative than me in that in that uh, area. I don't know what how people will say it's been creative with bro but the people the same. <laughs> um, no, but I think it was probably around this time last year, in fact. Uh, I think our first episode was December, so it was probably around this time last year that the kind of thought came to mind. But we both, after outside training, we both like to fill our time with, I don't know, reading, and we both listen to podcasts. And I think it started off as like a light conversation, you know, if we like, could we do a podcast and what would it be like? And what would we have guests on? What type of guests? And then we, it was maybe two or three weeks at the discussion. It was just kind of an idea, maybe even a joke. And then it started to form into something real. And why don't we do this? We have we have nothing to lose. Uh, but yeah, I say Marcus was very creative with the, the name and the imagery <laughs> and all of that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a grassroots effort in the sense that our intro is from, our, from my uncle who on the side runs a ukulele band and he had one of his uh one of his samples ready for an intro so he said why don't you use this i said great so i got my intro uh my sister has her own uh clothing label that she does on the side pimp society so she created the 
uh, imagery for that. And then I worked in correspondence with my dad. I said, okay, what kind of what kind of uh, name can we go for it? So okay, then we got the name, and then um, and then from there we just said, okay, listen, why don't we just do it? <laughs> you know, we're, so we talked about this. Let's just do it and get our first guests. Um, and 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 take it from there and get get the ball rolling and for us it was a way to fill our time yes but it was also to pursue a kind of a curiosity we had and to uh, to use the extensive network that we got from Duke uh, amongst other things to say hey listen we know a lot of brilliant people you know it'd be really cool is to reconnect with these people but also to let um, other people listen to their stories and hopefully we can create a, a, an episode or a discussion in which people will find interesting. And, you know, uh, that's up to each individual if they find it interesting or not, but we have great enjoyment doing it and we get to connect with some people with some really cool stories. I think that's the main thing, isn't it? It's, uh, that's the reason why I do quite a lot of podcasts as well. It's the reason I'm speaking to you guys today because it's, it's something that, if you're able to do it, you're exploring things that you, you like and you're mm-hmm. exploring things that you would want to hear yourself listening as well. And I, I think that's the thing that comes across for me as well. I've been I've been binging it over the last week. Uh, it's a really good listen. And you've had some brilliant guests on as well. Like you've covered some really important topics. So mm-hmm. for anybody that maybe hasn't listened yet, what kind of things have you covered? Well, I mean, it, we wanted to kind of, um, it's been a lot of football but football beyond, you know, because, you know, you yourself run a brilliant uh, podcast on football in Scotland um, and covering different parts of that. And we recognize, hey, listen, we can maybe uh, we can maybe compete or not compete because I think it's a great community. But we maybe we can't provide what you are providing, per se. So we have to find it like yourself. You have to find how do you differentiate yourself? And we thought, OK, listen, we we went to Duke and we, we, we've had the football bit, but we also had other forms of stimuli. How can we kind of find something at the intersection of that? Maybe that's where we are best, so to speak. Or maybe that's where we can provide value. And so, you know, our first episode, we had Jeremy Iwobise, who plays at Portland Timbers, who is a, you know, who's an activist, an athlete activist who went to Duke with. And he's got a fascinating story. So, okay, let's handle let's handle racism in football. Let's have that important issue. Okay, let's talk to a journalist and talk about how they go about creating connection with their interview object, so to speak. Okay, let's talk to, uh, last time, Dane Murphy, CEO of, of Barnsley, who is CEO of Barnsley, who are led by a who are led by a multinational consortium. Okay, so that's okay. That's very interesting. So ultimately, like you say, you're pursuing your own interests and then you're hoping and, you know, thinking that other people will find it interesting. But we kind of want to be across the board and then we have some cool football stories in it with some people with some great careers. And then, you know, you cover a, a, a kind of a broad base of, of things, but there is an integration of football in place, but there's also of business of finance politics um and then uh, you know finding out how they've integrated that and proved successful in pursuing their own paths and what greater inspiration that people doing their pursuing their own path and proving successful yeah i think that de- that definitely stands out and, and like you said the, the the kind of breadth of topics that you guys are, are trying to cover as well and and like you said as well, linking it back to football. I think that's definitely something that, that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had a, a favourite guest so far? Or are you, can, do you not want to reveal that just in case anybody gets hurt? Yeah, maybe not say a favourite guest, just to not upset the others. But uh, we found that early on, we had we had two journalists pretty early on, Stuart James, who works for The Athletic, and Henry Winter, who's the chief football correspondent for The Times. And... Just through their business of writing stories, telling stories, we found that those, you know, the the interviews were brilliant because they're so good at telling little anecdotes and they've had so many experiences from the people that they've interviewed. And so they would just, we would ask a question and inside that question, they would then tell another story about this player or manager. And so for us, that was, they were some of the most interesting uh, conversations we had. I think the the one that jumps out at me, well, there's actually two that jump out at me. It was you had Mark Noonan on, 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I come from a kind of marketing background, so I think that one was was kind of pretty fascinating for me to hear. Um, and then uh, Aga Hegerberg as well. Like I think that absolute incredible guest to get on. No, I'm glad you like. Yeah, I'm glad you actually mentioned those because Mark Noonan is one of those cases in which you know he's not like a, how who everyone's heard of, but then you look through his bio, and as you say, as a marketing guy yourself, having been in the U.S. and then going deciding, okay, I've done this, I've done well in within U.S. soccer within the MLS. Um, let me now let me now go to Ghana and be a CEO of a, of a club there in Accra. You know. How cool is that? Why not tell that story? What makes you do that? Getting into kind of the, the, the almost psychological element of, you know, pursuing something like that. I think everyone is impressed by doing because it's such a big move. And then Ada, you know, being one of the best female footballers in the world. And I wanted to avoid talking too much with her about, oh, how is it like fighting for equal rights, blah, blah. That is an incredibly important issue. But I, I told her, because she's a good friend of mine too, and I said, listen, I want to treat this podcast because you are one of the best strikers in the world. You are one of the most prolific uh, football players in the world. Let's talk about you as a, as a player. Let's talk about what goes in your mind as a goal scorer, as, a, as an athlete. And then what is the responsibility like being a female role model? But football first and then everything else because you've got to respect their trade first and foremost, and then you can – there's questions that can be derived from that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that hundred percent comes across, and I think yeah, that's one of the big things for me is is kind of exploring the stories around football as well. It definitely jumps out. Um, in terms of exploring the stories around football, I'm going to jump back to football now. Um, Kieran, how did you find that jump from soccer in the US to to football at Falkirk? It was tough, absolutely. Um, I think in America, it's physical in terms of, I don't think, coming back from America, I was pretty confident that I wouldn't come across any more physical players than, than who I was playing against in America um, in terms of physique, size, speed. Uh, and I felt really physically strong, so I felt like I could match strikers in that regard. But then playing in the championship, you had some great strikers that season I played. You had... Dobie at Queen of the South, you had Shankland at United, uh, sorry, not United, at Air. So I found that with those guys, it, it was the experience it was the hardest to kind of match. It was their movement um, inside the box, outside the box, backing up into you, um, just little kind of things that they do that young players in America haven't learned yet. Um, so I think that's where the biggest learning curve came. And then obviously with the situation Falkirk were in, the, the relegation battle, I was kind of just thrown into the thick of it. I think I trained for a week before I played my first game away to Ayr, who were top of the league at the time. And, you know, for the next six months, we were scrapping. Uh, one week we'd be bottom of the table, the next week we'd get off it and then back on it. So in that regard, it was you couldn't ask for a better kind of learning experience as a young defender to try and cope with all that mentally. Um, but no, it was it was great. Obviously, unfortunately, we weren't able to stay up, which um, isn't nice. Uh, but individually, I played every game. Uh, I learned a lot. I really enjoyed the gaffer there. Um, so it was a good experience overall for me. And Marcus, your path to Scottish football had a few more steps on it, didn't it? And one of those included being drafted in the 2018 MLS Super Draft, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I, it was, and it was a great, great experience coming off a good college season and was fortunate enough drafted and was able to kind of uh, be part of that very American uh, process and then, um, with, you know, got a great experience with a very strong franchise in Seattle Sounders and then, you know, as, as football is, it's tough and sometimes things don't work out and, being a foreigner is not easy either because there's only so many foreign spots. And so you were competing for one or two positions. And as, you know, fate or whatever you might have it, it didn't um, work out. But was able to train with the team for, for a while until I was able to uh, kind of finish my master's, which, was, which, I was, which I'm very happy about um, in hindsight. Did you end up at New York Red Bulls? Am I right in saying that as well? 
Yeah, so it's more of a summer league, similar to Kieran did it in, in, in Jackson, was it, Kieran? Yeah, Jackson. Yeah, it was more of a summer league in preparation for for uh, your college season and where you had a lot of college players and then you played, in my case, I played for New York Red Bulls under 23s. Um, and so I you know, was able to be part of that club there and train train with first team a few times and, and get a kind of taste of it. But um, yeah. We are, I actually did a podcast kind of uh, there's a chap called uh, Karan Tejwani who's got a book coming out on Red Bull in the next month or so so we did a podcast focusing on that um, and obviously their approach to football is much talked about at the moment how, how did you find your time even if it was just a short one there you know it was, it was brilliant I, I think you found you know it was a way of it was high intensive pressing uh, the approach to which even when, you know, for me as a defender, even when we had the ball, uh, being an approach and offensive marking press was definitely something I learned. Like when I trained with them, extremely intense. And it's funny that you mention it because we have a podcast. I'm going to edit it afterwards. But it was with Ali Curtis. And Ali Curtis was the sporting director for New York Red Bulls during, you know, arguably one of their more prolific times. Uh, it was 2014 2015 2017 2015 2017 okay yeah and so he was there then and we were discussing that we said you know how was it coming in as a as a sporting director when a philosophy has kind of been set and it seemed to me that he was part in you know there was a continual process in setting that philosophy and for him it was it was just interesting to hear his insights from it too but it is one predicated on high intensive pressing it is in one in predicated on just constant enthusiasm and running. And so I definitely noticed that when I was there and I was able to train with some incredible players too. How is it coming from that then? And, and maybe even Kieran from a US perspective, like changing the way that you play in relation to the way that the team plays? Like, is it, does it develop you and then you can maybe take it elsewhere? Or do you feel like you have to change the way that you are actually geared up to play? I think the biggest thing was obviously the level in America was good and it was very competitive and we took it very serious and you wanted to win every game and be as successful as you could. But at the end of the day, it's it's college football, so the, the pressure surrounding it uh, and maybe the style of play it can maybe be a little bit nicer and you can maybe take a little bit more risks. But then, like I said, coming to Falkirk, they're a massive club, probably a Premier League club. They find themselves at the bottom of the championship You've got 4,000, 5,000 fans every week at home and realising, you know, the pressure surrounding that and thinking, like, then you start to think about maybe how you're playing and um, you play with a lot more, you know, maybe caution. Uh, so that, that was probably the biggest impact and just it matures you a lot. Um, but I don't know how Marcus found it. No, I, I, it's a good question because how do you adjust in to a team and then you will think okay well you know you probably play best off instinct if it gets too analytical you know you probably don't play your best as many players can can attest to but also you got to respect the system you got to respect the philosophy set um and i i'll admit it like i found it to be trim, like a tr- like a very steep learning curve coming especially here to scotland because i'd come from places in which um you know maybe i could you know, I definitely like to play out from the back and all that. And I come here and I get, um, like, I hit, not a hit a wall, but it's like one of those where, you know, here there is no nonsense here. And coming to a kind of a no-nonsense culture as, as, as kind of Scottish football, English football for that matter is, I think definitely benefits me because I, like you said, if I were to go elsewhere, I, I am able to adopt a kind of a form of experience, so to speak. Uh, in, in the way I play and I've definitely I've definitely changed my play since coming here and understanding what it is what is required of me for sure and so in that sense then I think I've, I've changed the way I play and I'm still learning because it comes through experience um, but yeah I've, I especially like last year coming then to, to Hamilton and, and Scottish football for that first year I learned a lot and you know you learn our way you learn by playing and so you know, in the games I was involved in, you know, you're playing against people more experienced, but you're also playing, it's a different style of football here to to what I've been used to. And that definitely takes some uh, getting used to. 
think something you, you brought up, obviously, that seems to be that approach in, in Scottish and English football as well. But then you look at down south at the moment and the results that Bielsa seems to be getting in the, the Premier League with, with Leeds. And it seems to be taking some people by surprise, mm-hmm. but he is just kind of unwavering in his approach. And that's how the players fit into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Yeah, it is fascinating. I think everyone is very impressed by uh, by Bielsa and their system. Um, and I, but I, even so, I think the overriding philosophy, you know, especially in Scotland, which I'll I'll know best having played here now, you know, there is it's it's a different approach, and you've got to respect that, and then you adapt accordingly. Um, and I think you definitely gain another aspect of it because you can always, as a kid or when you're younger, you can learn how to play from the back, and then you can. But then you can make modifications. Then you can hit the percentage balls in the channel. But if it were to be the other way, it wouldn't work. So in that sense, you know, you now have a wider range of, you know, abilities or decision making to to play off of. Yeah, Marcus. One thing that uh, one other thing that stands out for me in in your career so far is that when you were in New Zealand, you were running the club's digital media and marketing as well. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it was it was a funny little gig. It was went to New Zealand, not knowing what to expect, um, and I was kind of going training training around in England and stuff like that. And then that opportunity came up, and we had an Irish manager, and there was an Irish core of players there, and there were a few a couple of English lads who were going to come over. So I was okay. That's that's you know that's somewhat familiar in that sense and i went over but kind of you know not expect it was kind of a you know a, a kind of a risk in that sense and had the most incredible time there um and was able to then to again like i was able to do integrate an interest of mine with football and and so i was able to kind of run the social media and run the marketing and trying to build up the club in their area and i never done that i just had vague familiarity with it and was able then to add that as a as another list of experiences. How do you run the club's social media if you're then coming on as a sub? Like, do you have, do you have to announce yourself coming on as a sub? Uh, did, did that I, ever happen? I had someone take over, but it would be boring because I had, I got two red <laughs> cards in two straight games when I was there, and I had to write the match reports, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, <laughs> it was that was that was brutal, but um, I I was professional with it. I understood I had a job to do. Um, but thankfully, you have some great. It's a, it requires a lot of grassroots efforts too, and uh, you know I cannot speak highly enough of, of the people in, in New Zealand and Dunedin where I was. And one of the things that constantly gets talked about in Scotland, uh, and kind of based on the time that you've both spent in America and, and abroad as well, do you think that Scottish football could do a better job at bigging itself up? Uh, I think absolutely. Um, I think Marcus knows my feelings towards it. Marcus a big Arsenal fan, so he watches the Premier League a lot and you often hear me saying that uh it's overhyped and I'll you know prefer the Scottish football to it. Um there's a difference between hyping it up and being delusional bro. <laughs> yeah. Any bro Kieran is such a dire cell they find I admire the loyalty so much, but it'd be like any opponent he says, ah, oh, you know Get him to Celtic Park. We'll give him a game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even outside Celtic, I still think comparably. I mean, I don't. I know I don't like to compare it to England too much, but I definitely think there's a uh, an unwarranted ignorance towards it outside of Scotland and England. Not just towards the old firm, but the rest of the Premiership, and even the Championship and the lower leagues. I think you know you're seeing it more now. Young Scottish players not just going down to England, but going abroad. Um, Arn Hickey going over to Italy and you see how well they do and I think you know I think people are now starting to see that um, the level in Scotland isn't as, uh, as amateurish as like some people like to think I think he's like John McGinn I think it was last yeah. night as we were recording this just I know. basically I mean, assisted, assisted in tearing Liverpool a new one yeah and, and what two years ago he was playing two or three years ago he was playing in the championship in Scotland yeah. not even yeah. you know so, fast forward a bit of time, and and you both end up together again at Hamilton Ackies, like we've already mentioned. Um, the club continually defies predictions by staying in the Scottish Premiership. How did you both find your time at the club? Uh, I think we we both loved it. Um, you know, it's that kind of. I guess it's just in the in the culture and the identity of the club that it's the club that defies all odds. Um, probably against what a lot of people want 
uh, but I think they 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 relish that and they get they get great motivation from kind of uh, showing people up. And uh, but I think I think it's a great club to have in the league. I think it does. You know, it's got a great culture, a great environment, great people in it. But if you look at the for the for the overall game in terms of the development of young players, they're arguably one of the best clubs in the country at developing young players and uh, getting them first team football and and pushing them on. Uh, so I think in terms of that, it's great, great to for them to be in the Premiership, and um, I think it's a great club. Yeah, I I love the fact that Hamilton defies expectations every time. I love it because you have, and people say, oh, but you've got bigger clubs there and Hamilton. Everyone's Hamilton down. And year on year, they defy expectations with a sustainable, you know, philosophy. You know, great young players that you're developing. So much respect needs to be given to that because you can see, you see it. You know, you know people can argue that there are bigger clubs down the divisions. So even more so respect because you're a smaller club and you're you are you're competing in in the top or you're t- t- competing in the in the in the top league in Scotland. You know, with that um, kind of philosophy in mind. I think um, you know is of uh, is of great respect. Kieran, you kind of suffered a little bit of, of through injury last season, didn't you? How how yeah. was it? Kind of, was how tough was it recovering? Yeah, it was um, it was definitely frustrating. I think I went into Hamilton. I, I think I started great. I was training well. Pre season went well. I played in all the Betfred League Cup games. Was doing well, and I managed to earn you know the starting position for the first game of the league, and then. I think it was 15 minutes in, I, I injured my knee. And Marcus comes on for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was kind of back and forth whether what was wrong with it and the best way to deal with it. Um, initially, we tried to go about it with, we tried to rehab it without an operation. So then I was out for six to eight weeks. I came back around October time. Um, Tried to come back into training. I played a few reserve games. I then played against Rangers. Came off the bench against Celtic, and it still just wasn't feeling right. And I was kind of pushing myself, thinking it would maybe get better, but it just didn't. And then eventually, we opted for an operation. So then I got that operation in November, and then I got over that. Was back training in February, and then I started, you know, getting in the squads again, making the bench, and then lockdown happened. So it was pretty much a whole wasted season. Um, which was very frustrating. How many times uh, did you play like, alongside each other for Hamilton at any point? Uh, yeah, against Rangers at Ibrox, where we lost five. <laughs> that was that was the, the one game where I on the return from injury when my knee probably wasn't still right, and I put we played in the back five. I played right wing back. Marcus played right centre back, and yeah, that was uh, that, that was, was that was fun. For like three uh, minutes, up, for three minutes <laughs> you realize you're like, oh shit, like yeah, that was that was tough. But it was, you know, I think it was nice for Kier myself to play alongside each other. Do we wish that we could have done it more? Absolutely. And do we wish that we could have had, you know, a, a more successful time at that uh, at Hamilton? Absolutely, because we, you know, we really enjoyed the people and and, and, the, and the club. But uh, as football is, sometimes you know it's not meant to be at certain places, and then you have to kind of. Um, Find your opportunities elsewhere. That's that is that is football. How, uh, Kieran, you mentioned it there. Obviously, lockdown put a put a stop to football last season. How did you find keeping yourselves ticking over without any without any team training? Um, obviously, you got a fair few episodes of the podcast released yeah. during that time as well. But uh, in terms of keeping yourselves fit and, and healthy, well, I was lucky. I have Marcus for around the first five weeks, and then he abandoned me when. <laughs> When he realised that it would pro- it was probably going to last a little longer, he flew home in Norway and seen the luxury life in the summer in Norway. Um, it's a little bit hard to see, but <laughs> so then, so then at that point, I was on my own. But while he was here, you know, I think we we're big, we're both big on routines and kind of making the most of our days uh, and kind of following a structure. So we try to kind of replicate what we would do when we were at training and when t- times were normal, even in lockdown. So we would get up and still go and train, go on our runs and do home workouts. And then we'd spend the afternoons trying to keep ourselves occupied with the podcast or with reading. Um, I went through a lot of a lot of books and magazines during that time. 
and then you know you would then chill at night and Yo, play PS4, yeah. watch Netflix, the usual. But honestly, lockdown when we, when we were there to, here together, it was alive. It was, it was, it and <laughs> the weather was like the weather was very good too. So we talk. I mean, mind you, like you know, very cognizant of the fact that we talk from a point of privilege, being able to be able to enjoy lockdown to begin with. So the fact that we were able to do that at all is, you know, uh, we're very fortunate for, but, you know, we made the well, you know, we went, made well out of it, but I even fell into the TikTok world and started making TikTok. That's <laughs> when I realized like, ah, nah, I need, <laughs> I need to do something else. Like what's, what's going on. But other than that, uh, slight low, um, it was pretty enjoyable. Yeah. I know. I think obviously you, you talk about it now and you, you try and make light of the situation obviously it's a horrific time for everybody but i i also enjoyed lockdown a little bit like obviously i i wasn't having a commute to work i was just kind of rolling out of bed i could go a little run in the morning as well like you you got to same as you guys watch plenty of netflix play play plenty of like ps4 football manager so um yeah i guess i i had a good you're lockdown as well. manager too you're getting lost the hours just go by for fun I wouldn't even dare. Oh, exactly. I know I would, how addicted I'd get. Yeah, we'll we'll not go into that on this podcast. So I could be here for the next day or so talking about how much I'm obsessed with it. Um, coming into the the new season now, obviously we're we're hours away now. I'm going to say um, you're both with new clubs. Um, Kieran, you've joined Partick Thistle, and the aim is surely to bounce straight back up to the Championship. Yeah, definitely. That's you know, there's no secrets about that. The the aim is to win the title, um, but we're not delusioned to the fact that it's going to be a tough league and there are a lot of good teams um, in the league. Uh, so, you know, it's a challenge, but it's one that we're looking forward to as a team. It's one I'm looking forward to as individually. You know, I think my experience with Falkirk toward down the bottom of the table, fighting for relegation, a similar experience at Hamilton, trying to stay in the league. So I think it, this one will be hopefully more enjoyable where... We're at the top of the league and we're challenging for a title, so I'm excited about that. And you know, Partick Thistle are a massive club, uh, got a great manager right now, a great squad. So, you know, Farhill, great stadium, the pitch is looking amazing right now. So, looking forward to playing that every setting week. Hopefully, play good football. Hopefully, you know, play a lot of games. One thing that's one thing I'm not taking for granted either. The squad is still very strong, so it's very competitive and. I want it to be on my game to play, but I'm, I'm, you know, really excited for it all. Yeah, a few great signings alongside you as well. I'm thinking uh, Ross Doherty was was really good in an airside yeah. in the championship last season. Um, I always get his name wrong. Is it Salim Kaider Isa as yeah, well? From yeah, yeah. he had a great season yeah. last season for Queens Park. So yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I could we could go through the whole squad, but you've got yeah. Brian Graham, Zach Rudden up front. I played with. Dak at Falkirk and I played against Brian when he was at Ross County uh, and you know in my opinion I think they're the two best strikers in the league so and then you've got the rest of the team as well yeah definitely Marcus you've joined my beloved Greenock Morton um, <laughs> how, how did that move come about well you know like I alluded to uh, to earlier you know um, I wasn't uh, you know I wasn't getting the opportunities I, I was hoping for um, and so over several weeks of, you know, events and deliberations, so to speak, um, I concluded to the fact that it was best for me to leave if I wanted to play regularly. And, and in that point of my career, uh, I wanted to. Um, and hopefully the chances for that are better at, at Morton, which I think they will be. Um, and so, you know, from from kind of desiring to leave to uh, to then being signed didn't take very long. And, uh, you know, David Hopkin, the manager, expressed um, interest. And I met with him and, uh, I, you know, I went to the stadium and had a chat with him and, you know, got a little uh, tour, so to speak. And I got a good feel of the club and I also got a very good feel of, of the manager and, and the, way, um, the, the way he, you know, the, what he wanted from me. And, you know, his track record as a manager, and also as a player, I think are, you know, of great respect. And it was something that I wanted to, to be a part of. In your first interview, you showcased a little bit of knowledge about the club as well. That, that kind of thing goes a long way with the fans. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I think out of respect, you should know a bit about the club going in, you know. Um, and yeah, for sure, I, you know, being able to uh, immerse yourself into the culture and and not and you know of the club is is I think it's important because you know what you're playing for, who you're playing for, and so hopefully I can do the club and the place proud. Fingers crossed. How how are you feeling about the upcoming season? I'm I'm excited. Um, you know I. You know, now I'm getting settled. I've been there for a week now. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with the players we have. Um, I got a clear idea of what the manager wants. And I think we'll be, it'll be fun to watch. I think it'll be hard to beat. And, uh, and you know, listen, I've never played in the championship, but uh, Kieran has. And, uh, and from the impressions I get of others, I know it will be very tough. And seeing, you know, you see some players from the championship last season and the way they're doing in the prem- premiership this year, just you know, goes to show, you know how strong of a league it is and how it compares to the Premiership in many ways too. Yeah, definitely, and and obviously this season as well, we've got the shorter season. How how do you both think that'll impact things? I think, uh, at least for us, I think it just reinforces how important it is to start well, to start fast, and. Uh, you know, win as many games at the beginning as you can because, like you said, it's only 27 games and you want to make sure that, for, at least for us at Partick Thistle, that we're up at the top of the table um, for for most of the season. So you can't get off to a slow start. Uh, and so I think that's what has been drilled into us over pre-season uh, in terms of making sure that our fitness levels are up and that we're sharp and that we're ready to, you know, hit the ground running um, in the first league game in a couple of weeks' time. Do you do either of you know about the kind of there's a, sometimes a little bit of a rivalry between Morton and Partick Thistle between the fans on on Twitter? Do you, do either of you know much about that at all? I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. Where did that stem from? I think a good few seasons ago now they were both kind of challenging up at the the top of the the top of the I don't know if it was a championship by that point maybe it was um, and then Thistle beat Morton. Uh, in a kind of decisive game 1-0 towards the end of the season and then it just kind of I think it's kind of stems from that really <laughs> um, few few players have gone between them in the past to, to, to differing levels of success as well so yeah. yeah I think the fans like to kind of rip into each other a fair bit on, yeah, online we're in, the, we're in the same Betfred group so you know we've yeah, true. spent the last five years kind of playing together so it'd be good if we could come up against each other yeah I would love that that would be marking, marking each other at a corner. Absolutely. Yeah. That would make sense too, honestly. <laughs> that would make sense. We'd honestly probably just block each other out since we know we know the techniques of our runs and stuff. What what's next for you both off the pitch then? Any any more episodes of the podcast lined up? You've you've mentioned a few. Yeah. Yeah, we got I mean we got have Ali Curtis now, who's general manager at Toronto FC and MLS, which was great. You know, he went to Duke. So I kind of scavenged the alumni database and I found his email. And I've met him on a couple occasions. So I said, hey, he reached out an email. And, you know, I'm shameless about it. Because when it comes to reaching out to these people, I can. it's great for me to use the podcast as an excuse, so to speak, to reach out to them too and, you know, pick their brains because they're all undoubtedly had paths that you're impressed by. So, I, you know, I said, you know, can I schedule something? And, and thankfully it worked out. And then next now, Fingers crossed, we uh, we're gonna get someone else um, who also was a Duke uh, alumni, Duke soccer alumni, who has been uh, coaching in MLS and involved in the U.S. national setup. Um, so who's had a good career? So stuff like that. You need to just we, we don't know our guests like often. Often it's like okay, we've done our guests, and now off to the next one. Where do we go? I, and then that's when I scavenge like LinkedIn, the alumni <laughs> network, Twitter. But what I found is people are generally like, I don't know, you can tell me about this too, but people are rather responsive if you reach out because you just want to talk to, you want to talk to them about their life, their career. And if you come from a good place out of a you know, place of sincerity, people are generally pretty responsive. And, you know, I'm pretty, you know, that's, that's a pretty cool to, to witness. Yeah, I think as, as soon as I spotted Kieran uh, following back, I was I was straight in there saying can can we get this sorted so yeah I was I was really appreciative of that yeah we've done it many a times we know the feeling 
Yeah, you have to excuse. I Kieran said that, and I realized you followed me, and I and I I didn't know that you followed me. So I'll, I'm gonna just make that as an excuse, and I'll follow immediately after, <laughs> I'll, and I'll use the, your listeners as as witnesses. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, we've talked about it enough. So if anybody does want to listen to the podcast, where can they find it? We're on our Twitter page, BroPod. BroPod one. BroPod one. BroPod one on Twitter because BroPod was taken, so then we were creative. <laughs> um, and then on Facebook on on BroPod, and then obviously on you can find them on all uh, all the streaming platforms, so to speak. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all under yeah, BroPod. Google, all that. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, thank you very much for both coming on. Great to chat to you both. No, uh, good luck Plenty with the season. Thank yeah. you very much. Appreciate it, no problem. Marcus, I'll hopefully be shouting at you at some point this season from, from the cow shed at Capelo. Hopefully, hopefully I'll pause of this. <laughs> hopefully I'll pause we'll see. Well, I would love nothing more for you, for, you, know, for you and, and everyone else, more than fans, to, to join in because we definitely miss it. You know, they're definitely missing an aspect. And I've seen pictures and videos of, of you know, of, of games with actual fans there. And that would be great to have because you're definitely lacking that now. Yeah, definitely. Fingers crossed for everybody getting back soon. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much and, and thanks to everybody for listening and we'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.